In the last HRI podcast episode, we talked about the role of emotions for humans and robots. The interview with Douglas Campbell truly inspired me and there was not enough time in the last episode to go into the full depth of our conversation. So here it is, our full discussion about emotions and consciousness in robots. This is the Human-Robot Interaction Podcast. I'm your host, Christoph Bartmeck. Okay, yeah, I'm a philosopher. I'm interested in all kinds of things. My areas of research are really quite sprawling. I'm very interested in artificial intelligence. That was what really got me into philosophy in the first place. But since then, I've also got really interested in metaphysics, what the world is ultimately made of. And I'm interested in altruism. So why it is that altruism arrived, altruism evolved in human beings. Are there any fundamental differences between human emotions and robots that are able to perceive, process, and express emotions? I, I think the answer to that question will be different depending on the philosophy you ask, but I think my answer will be a fairly common answer. I subscribe to a certain theory in philosophy called functionalism. The idea there is that it's what it is about the human brain which gives rise to consciousness and thoughts and feelings and emotions is the information processing that's been performed in the brain by the neurons or perhaps also in virtue of hormones and other things that are floating around inside the blood. So the idea is that all of that information processing has to be right in order for a thing to have emotions and feelings and experiences and consciousness. And so my suspicion, a very strong suspicion, is that at present any robot we have that appears to be emoting and that appears to be able to register emotions in people and respond appropriately isn't doing that and that using the same information processing that a human being is using. They're probably using um, much less sophisticated information processing than, than we're using. And as a result, I think it's very unlikely that they have any of that going on. They're basically zombies. They may look like they have emotions. And they may genuinely be able to detect emotions in people but they themselves don't have any emotion. And so they, they couldn't sympathise with us or empathise with us at all because they couldn't feel those emotions themselves simply because they're not processing information in the right way. But that's not to say that in the future, as our technology becomes ever more sophisticated and as we learn more and more about the brain and how to copy that, you know, simulate the brain within a machine, that's... That's not to say that there couldn't one day be a robot that has emotions just like us. But what makes feeling emotions so special? I think that it's absolutely pivotal to our existence that we have at least consciousness, right? So that we have an awareness of the world. If we didn't have consciousness, then it would be as if we didn't exist. From the point of view of a third party, they could see us moving around and doing things. But we simply wouldn't have a point of view at all. We, we wouldn't be there. We wouldn't be seeing anything or experiencing anything. Consciousness is, is crucial. So if a robot doesn't have consciousness, then there's nothing there inside it. There's no one inside looking out at the world. So that's consciousness. And one aspect of human consciousness is emotion. 
Now, how crucial is it for a conscious being to have emotion? I don't think it's completely crucial. So you can imagine, you know, there's Dr. Spock off of Star Trek, this alien who doesn't have emotion, but who's presumably conscious and fully aware of the world and able to think intelligently. I, I think it's perfectly possible for there to be a robot like that, something that is conscious, but that doesn't have emotions. So to that extent, I don't think that emotions are as important as consciousness, right? You must have consciousness in order for there to be a world that you're in order for you to be seeing reality at all. But it's possible to have consciousness without emotions. One of my other guests brought up the distinction between having emotions and feeling emotions. And she mentioned that robots can have emotions, but they don't feel them. So she can create a computer program that can, so that the computer or the robot can sense the emotions, process it according to certain algorithms or some sort of software, and express emotions. And that is what she defined as having emotions. But she distinguished that from feeling emotions, and she argued that a robot cannot feel emotions. Would you think this is a good distinction? It's it's certainly a perfectly valid way of using words. I, I think instead distinguish between simulating emotions and both feeling and having emotions. I would that's that's how I'd prefer to use words. But it doesn't matter. We can use words her way if we like. So there's an absolute distinction between acting as if you feel emotions. Um, and feeling emotions. So I, I can easily, at the moment, we can already build robots that have emotions in the sense that they can, they act as if they feel them, but they don't feel them. But if she's saying that there will never be a robot that actually you know, genuinely feels emotions, then I'm inclined to disagree with her on that. So I think you know, one day we easily could have such a robot. So you mentioned the right way of processing emotions or the information around it, let's say. So is your argument that it's just a question of complexity and understanding exactly how humans work. And as soon as we know how the humans work, we can model that in software. And if it is then very similar to what humans do, that would be the right way. And would that mean then it would feel emotions? Yes. Humans have a very particular evolutionary design we've been shaped by the environment that we evolved in so we have a whole suite of different emotions that are very human we feel disgust and we feel shame we feel pity it's easy to imagine other perhaps aliens who are just as intelligent as us but who perhaps aren't social animals like us and therefore lack some of those emotions they don't perhaps have any feeling of, of emotion of guilt so i think that if we if you were to do a good enough job, it doesn't have to be perfect, but a good enough job of duplicating the information processing that occurs in a human brain, then you would thereby create a robot that has our emotions. And so, you know, you would have found a right way to do it. But it's not the right way, because of course, there's any number of other intelligent creatures out there in the universe who, who would feel different emotions from us. And their different way of processing information is also another right way to process information, to have emotions. Does that make sense? One of the kind of little interesting sentences that has been uttered about artificial intelligence is that an airplane doesn't need to flap its wings to fly. So therefore, with emotions, 
as long as a robot can produce output that is plausible, would that not already be sufficient independently of how it is processing the information as long as it is plausible? Would that not be good enough? Um, so th there was once a really popular theory in psychology and in philosophy called behaviorism, which was based, that was precisely that. The idea was that all you need to do in order to produce consciousness or feelings or you know, thoughts, experiences, emotions is act in the right way. As long as the behavior is correct, then, then the object in question, whether it be a human or an animal or a, or a robot, has all of the consciousness that goes along with that. Nowadays, that's roundly repudiated by almost everybody. There are a number of reasons for that. One nice thought experiment is a super stoic, right? Who's a super stoic? It's someone who is very, very, very stoical. They're actually very sensitive to pain when they're injured, but when their body is injured, they feel incredible pain and they're very scared of it. They have all of these emotions of, of fear and terror and afterwards they're in shock. But because they're so stoical, they are able to act just as if they didn't care at all. It seems that such a person is possible, right? So the information processing that's going on inside their brain is the information processing that causes all of these emotions of terror and pain and fear and so forth. But their behavior is just that of a person who who's, doesn't really feel pain at all. If, if you think that such a person is conceivable, and I, I do, then that completely undermines the idea that it's only the behavior that matters. And why should just the behavior matter? There are all of these different ways that the brain could process information that would produce exactly the same behavior. Why should that mode of information processing be completely irrelevant? Why should it be only the behavior that matters and not the information processing that's going on? It just seems like a superficially plausible idea, but, but once you think about it, it's just... It doesn't make any sense. Hiroshi Shiguro took the example of animals, and his argument was that an animal, maybe a simple animal, might not have all the complexities of cognition and intelligence as, as humans have, but they have emotions, maybe simpler emotions, and it is still an emotion. And a robot could be just like a simple animal but it would still have emotions. Would that make sense? As I said before, in my view, it's not quite right to speak of processing information the right way, as if there's only one. Rather, there will be um, all of these different ways of processing information, obviously, an infinity of different ways of processing information. Of those, some will give rise to consciousness, along including perhaps emotions in some cases, and a whole lot won't. And among those that do, there will be some that give rise to human-like emotions and others that give to weird kind of alien emotions and others that perhaps give rise to the emotion that your dog has when it's waiting for, for dinner and, and you go to the fridge door and open it and then close it and don't bring out the food. I, I, I tend to believe that dogs are capable of feeling emotions. I think that they also are performing computing in the right way in order to have emotions. So the, the question really is whether or not the robots we've built now, whether their way of processing information puts them in that set of 
different sets of ways of you know, processing information which give rise to emotions. And I'm just dubious. Right? I, I, I think that it, it depends very much on the details. It depends entirely on the details. I could be persuaded by a computer programmer that, no, that look, what we're doing is amazingly sophisticated. And look at this. We're, we're doing this special trick here. And plausibly, this is exactly the thing that, that leads to genuine emotions. I, you know, I could be persuaded. <laughs> it's just that at, at the moment, I haven't been. It seems to me that most of what's going on at the moment is pretty simple. Um, but are we not also confined by our inability to access the feelings and emotions in others. So I do a bit of crayfish hunting here in New Zealand. It's one of those things you do as a Kiwi. And we catch crayfish. And we always have these lengthy debates about what is the most humane way of killing them. And the problem, of course, is that we don't know. Crayfish, if you throw them into boiling water, they make no sound. They, they don't have any expression that we can decipher as to its feeling discomfort. It is just completely stoic. Yeah. yeah. So we cannot know how it feels. So we cannot really ever know what is the right way then because we have no way of knowing. So yeah, that's the famous problem of other minds. Every one of us knows that uh, uh, at least one conscious mind exists our own, <laughs> but we, we can't directly detect the consciousness of anybody else. I mean, even you, for all I, all, all I can be really sure of, you might be as on, you might not I'm be. I'm a simulation. Yeah, yeah, or possibly, yeah, yeah. This is the problem for the minds, and it's an immensely important old problem in philosophy, and it's what creates the so-called hard problem of consciousness. How do you try to understand consciousness when the only example that you can ever actually really detect is yours, and that means that no two scientists can see the same instance of consciousness. They can all just see their own private one. It can't be studied objectively. No two people can see the same example. Consciousness is, for that reason, incredibly interesting, and, and it's obviously a real phenomenon. It's deeply difficult to study. It's, for that reason, it's hugely fascinating to philosophers. I don't have any... I wish I could give you the solution right here and now, but I can't. We need to distinguish between the epistemic difficulty of telling whether, say, a crayfish has emotions and the ontological question as to whether it does or doesn't. Even though I, I can't be sure that you've got consciousness, I can't actually directly see it, it's really plausible that you do and it's really plausible that other human beings do and it's really plausible that dogs do. As to how far it extends, that's that's the problem of, of coming up with a decent theory of consciousness. So what a theory of consciousness needs to do is it needs to, if it's a functional theory, is it needs to precisely demarcate the set of things that are processing information in a way that gives rise to consciousness and tell us what kind of consciousness they're giving rise to from all of the other things that aren't. And at the moment we don't have such a theory and so we don't have a way of drawing that line. So for that reason everything we say about robots is, is a speculative right my guess based on what i know about robots at the moment is that at the moment they're not crossing the barrier but from the fact that we don't know exactly where that barrier is at the moment that's the epistemic problem it doesn't follow that there isn't such a barrier no there surely is and so there really is some effect of the matter as to whether or not the crayfish is feeling emotions or not it's just that it's hard to know what that fact of the matter is i could build a very simple machine that has let's say only one emotion, pain. And if I press a button, it feels pain. And if I don't press the button, it feels happy. 
and I could claim this is maybe like a very simple animal, like maybe even less than a worm, I could argue that, look, this has emotions on the level of a worm, and therefore it is processing the information similar, and therefore it doesn't simulate emotions, but it literally has emotions. Yeah, and, and presumably the way you would actually wire that up is, is you would make it so that that pressing of the button, why is it painful? Because it's aversive. Whenever you press that button, what the machine does is it tries to work out what it's done recently that might have caused you to press the button and then it, would, it won't do that again. But otherwise all you're doing is you're just saying it's a pain button, right? Oh, it's a pain button. Oh, I could press it, I cause pain. What makes it a pain button? It needs to be something that makes it a pain button. And I think the, the thing that plausibly really would turn it into a pain button is the pressing of that button being aversive for the machine. And then your claim then would be that to process an information in a way that's sufficient to give rise to the, the feeling of pain or perhaps the emotion of pain, just as having such a ability to detect and respond appropriately to aversive signals. Right. So and that, that's a theory of consciousness, and it could be true, but it probably isn't. But again, if we go down the you know evolutionary ladder of animals to very simple animals, they don't have consciousness, probably, and they are just pain-reacting machine. So on that level then, would it not be the same? Does a fly feel pain? Does a mosquito? Or are they just little robots? That's part of the whole great question of what the true theory of consciousness is. We don't have the correct answer. Here's one possibility, right? Even an atom is conscious, right? So that's a pan-psychic possibility. No matter how you process information, there's consciousness. And then from there, you get to more and more restrictive theories, which draw more and more, you know, stronger and stronger kind of limits on the kind of information processing that's required until you get to a really restrictive theory, which says, look, you, you need to be processing information pretty much exactly like a human being in order to have any consciousness or emotions at all. Not even dogs count as having emotions. For what it's worth, which may not be very much, my money is in the middle somewhere. I'm guessing that dogs have consciousness crayfish don't, flies don't, worms definitely don't. The cutoff point is, is somewhere in the middle there. That's just my suspicion. I'm not sure. <laughs> so to, just to clarify, you mentioned before that you think it is possible to have consciousness without emotions, and it is also possible to have emotions without consciousness? No, I wouldn't no? say that. No. Consciousness is a little bit of a tricky word. There might be different things one means by consciousness. There's something rather strange about the idea of something that's having an unconscious emotion, right? It's like the the whole, what's distinctive about emotions is the way they're experienced, right? The way they feel for the person who's having them. What makes anger, anger, it's the kind of the way it feels to you. And what makes grief, grief, it's the way it feels to you. And if you're not conscious, then Nothing feels like anything to you, right? There's no you. So is it conceivable to have emotions without consciousness? And your argument is that, no, it doesn't really make any sense because you cannot really reason, argue, or even think about anything around you or your own sensation, and therefore it would just be a pain machine? It would be, it would be a nothingness, right? It would be pain that was experienced by nobody. What is that? That's not pain at all. Pain has to be experienced by somebody. 
What I'm saying is there needs to be someone who experiences it. I'm not saying that person, that thing that experiences the pain has to then be capable of remembering their pain and um, conceptualising it as pain or having detailed thoughts about it. It could just be a very simple consciousness of the pain, but there needs to be some consciousness, at least, of the pain. But now we're having a really difficult situation because, well, this podcast was just supposed to be about emotions and emotions alone. I wasn't planning to touch on consciousness or strong AI or weak AI. But now your argument is that you cannot disentangle them. Uh, you can't really disentangle them. The, the question as to whether or not robots can have emotions, the answer can only be yes, if they can be conscious, uh, at least on my view. It's very strange, as you said before, we can distinguish perhaps between feeling emotions and having them. And if we're only concerned with whether they have them, then yeah, of course robots can have emotions because they, they can act as if they feel emotions. I have no problem with that claim. But if we're, we're concerned with is whether they can feel emotions, then to my mind, that takes us instantly into consciousness territory. So it becomes really this distinction between having emotions in terms of a simulation and feeling emotions seems to be at the heart of the problem here. Do I understand you correctly that your argument is that unless you can feel the emotions, you will not achieve human-like consciousness? There are perhaps some people who are very emotionally stunted, perhaps in a sociopath or psychopath. They're just kind of missing a whole raft of emotions that, that the rest of us have. And I'm no expert on this, but I imagine if there, if there can be sociopaths and psychopaths who are missing those emotions, then there can be other people who are missing a whole lot more emotions. And, and yet they can be conscious. Right? They're intelligent people, but they um, have a very limited emotional life, perhaps almost no emotional life. No, I, I wouldn't claim that you couldn't have a human mind if you didn't have emotions, because I think there are some people who do. They really don't have very many emotions at all. But certainly, it's, even if it doesn't actually happen, it's conceivable. There have been some examples in the past of people who had certain types of brain injury that yep. resulted in them having, um, let's say, compromised ability to yep. process emotions or having emotions or even feeling emotions. And they had all sorts of different trickle-on effects about their ability to operate in the world. Yep. And that kind of highlighted the importance of emotions for humans yep. to function at all. Yep. So rationality itself is largely insufficient for us to function because yeah. we're just not good enough at it. Well, I agree with that. It would be strange if we had all of these emotions and they weren't useful for anything. So surely they are. Dr. Spock is limited in, in many ways because of his lack of emotions. So this is a good issue you raise here, uh, Mr. Spock, and the depiction of science fiction. And I'm sorry I have to be, I'm a Star Trek fan, so I have to be a little bit picky here. The Vulcans in Star Trek, they have emotions, actually quite intense emotions. Oh, okay. But they are stoic, so they control them. So yes, he has this appearance and ability to act rationally, but okay. he still has the ability to sense it. That is so unfortunate for philosophy. It was it's, <laughs> such a good example. So it's really good. Well, it's really good to have Dr. Spock as someone to talk about. So I'm not allowed to anymore. I'll take that on the chin. But putting that aside, the question that comes back in a lot of science fiction is that whenever you have a robot like Mr. Data from also from Star Trek, who does not have emotions, the writer 
put him in a situation or develop his character that his goal in life is to become more human-like and that means he wants to acquire the ability to have emotion, to feel emotions. And that is not just limited to Mr. Data. A lot of characters in science fiction are written that way, that emotions is the one thing that machines don't have. So therefore, when they become intelligent, their goal must be to gain this ability to be more like us. Other than vanity that we might have, that we want to be liked, we want to be imitated, we want to be the superior being on the planet, other than that, would there be any real reasons for a Mr. Data to even want to have emotions? I imagine that the reason why it's such a common plot point in science fiction is because it's such an obvious plot point. When, when you're writing a science fiction series, you need to write about something, and so it's a it's an easy um, trope to explore, and it it leads nicely into all kinds of dramatic situations. But as to whether or not a robot would actually want to experience human emotions. So emotions are what define the peak of our lives and the absolute troughs in our lives. So when you have a wonderful, wonderful experience, that's that's emotions, right? That's happiness and joy and all these other emotions. And when you're just in the pit of despair and grief, those are more emotions. To have a life without any emotions would be a very bland thing. So I can imagine that robots might, um, having appreciated that, want the good emotions, <laughs> but not so much of the bad. There are emotions are a very mixed bag, and some of them are the most special th- things about our existence, and some of them are the most awful things about our existence. Fiction responds to, of course, the development in computer science and Previously, it was thought that if a computer can beat the world chess master, then this computer would be intelligent. Then that happened. And then we moved our goalpost to, to Go. And then that happened. And then we moved it further to Jeopardy. And it happened. So writers of science fiction have the problem that they can no longer argue about, look, there's a machine. It can calculate. It can think. Everybody assumes that this is already happening and it is normal for it to be. And the argument is that this one thing that machines cannot have and will never have is emotions. And that is what makes humans special. And therefore we can clap ourselves on the shoulder as being a superior being Mm -hmm. in terms of we have it, you don't. But is that justified? Is that really something we can be proud of? So there are two questions there. <laughs> so one is, is it justified? And I would say no. It's, it's a matter of processing information in the right way. And sooner or later, we'll crack that problem just as we've cracked the others. And then, and then we'll have a machine that has emotions. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, should we clap, a, clap ourselves on the back for that? To the extent that having beautiful emotions is, is the, the what makes being conscious a valuable thing, of course, yeah, we should clap ourselves on the back for being able to have that. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. If we didn't have that, it, life would be worthless. That's the reason why um, if, if I was a machine that was intelligent but that didn't have emotions, but that learned that having emotions was this bliss, having certain emotions was this really, really 
positive, nice thing, then I would probably want to have them. Now, we have got a whole religion that is based on this, which is Buddhism, and the idea there is life is suffering, and their goal is to free yourself from all of that, to be in this Zen style of uh, state where you don't feel anything, you can be in the now, and that is the most desirable state to be in, which is kind of like being a robot. I think I would prefer to be myself in a, in a state of blissful joy rather than of nothingness. Which brings me to this one question I ask all my interviewees in this series. Would you be happy to be able to turn off your emotions sometimes? Emotions are a very mixed bag. Often they're very helpful and appropriate and, and, and if you didn't have them you wouldn't function very well. There are times when getting a bit angry is really the correct and appropriate response when it gets you the results that, that are required. But there are other times when it's, it's really not. A, a common example from my life is when I when there's a cupboard door at just below head height and I stand up sharply and whack my head on the corner of the cupboard door and it really hurts. And I cannot help but feel angry. I think there's an evolutionary reason for that. In, in the past, back in the Pleistocene when we were evolving, and when out of the blue you suddenly got whacked on the head really hard, you know, then probably someone had just ambushed you and was about to murder you. And the appropriate response in that scenario, in the Pleistocene, was just to go crazily angry. And, and, you, and if you did that, you might get away. But it's not appropriate in the modern day. It's not appropriate to get really angry at your cupboard door when you're the, you're the idiot who whacked your head on it. Yeah, there, I think there are many occasions like that when I would gladly turn off my emotions because they're just not appropriate. They're not helpful. Another example is grief. Horrible grief that a parent has when their child dies or the, the grief of a lover who's been dumped. They're just horrible emotions and it would be wonderful to have a little switch behind your ear. You could just kind of switch the emotion off and give yourself a break for a few hours. I would gladly do away with some of my emotions on, on occasions. In summary, your argument is that you can have consciousness without emotions, but you can't have emotions without consciousness. Yes, although I'd put it, you can't feel emotions without consciousness, because ah. earlier you distinguished the having from the, the feeling. So that's the second conclusion, is there's a difference between having or simulating emotions versus experiencing them. I cannot describe it any other way as the experience of the feeling. I, I don't know what, yeah. well, what else yeah. I can employ to communicate this. It's one of those things you can't describe to anybody who hasn't had it. It's like trying to dis you know, describe the colour red to someone who's never seen colour. You can't. There are no words to describe feeling in consciousness except you know, the, the, those very words, which wouldn't make sense to somebody who hadn't actually felt it. So it's maybe our problem here of creating robots that feel emotions is that we cannot write software to do it because we cannot explicitly define or write things that describe it appropriately and therefore we cannot teach them or, or make them experience it because we just lack the absolute ability to describe it. Uh, it would be unfortunate if it was true. I hope it isn't true and I don't think it's true. I, I think that what will happen is we keep on you know, rapidly learning about the brain as we are and, and discovering the way that it processes information, is we're going to learn that there are certain 
nifty, really nifty tricks the brain is doing when it processes information, which are responsible for, for us being able to do many of the things that even our AI at the moment can't. Things like really creatively solving problems and, and having kind of serial conscious thoughts one after another where we can you know, apply logic and, and make inferences in, in a way that's also partly shaped by kind of learning patterns in the world. So once we make those discoveries and port those the, those learnings across into silicon and build a machine that, that processes information in the same way, we are suddenly going to have on our hands a true AI. My guess is that when we do that, we're also going to see in that um, information processing that algorithm that we've discovered something really bizarre and exciting that, and, and someone's going to say that's what's responsible for emotions that's it there and that's going to be a really plausible theory but based on, on the, the role that it plays in, in helping the the machines that have this perform well that will then help us draw the line and say okay oh look human beings have that circuitry they have emotions oh dogs have that circuitry they have emotions Oh, crayfish don't. They don't have emotions. So I think that's a way that science could overcome this um, epistemic barrier. So could you consider then robotics as a tool to test how well we understood ourselves? Absolutely. If you can't build it, you don't understand it, right? When we can build a, a thing that... Um, acts like us and that emotes like us and that processes the information like us, then you understood it, right? If you think you've understood how the brain processes information and you transpose that over into silicon and you build this machine and it doesn't act like us, you know you've made a mistake somewhere. If our brain would be simple enough for us to understand, we would be too stupid. Yeah, that's... A thought. A guy called Colin McGinn came up with this idea. The idea is that it's perfectly possible to, to understand what consciousness is. It's just that we're too stupid to do it. He came up with the term cognitively closed. There are some problems that are just too hard for us, and we know the solutions are cognitively closed from us. He suggested that understanding consciousness is one of those. But I don't think that's plausible. Uh, among other things, you, you can just shave the brain, do this tiny little very thin shaving of the brain which allows you to completely map it out and map out all of its circuitry and and build a replica or a working kind of model of the human brain that way and then, and then, and then play with it add, add bits to it perhaps toy with it and, and see so some of the modifications you make will make it dumber some of them will make it smarter and eventually we can build something that's really smart in that way and then we can get it to explain it to us how, how consciousness works. <laughs> the last part is an interesting one. It will explain itself to us. Yeah. Because again, we, since we are locked into our own mind and our own emotions, we cannot really tell if the other is working yeah. like us. So it is conceivable that we will be able to maybe create a robot that thinks and feels and can say things about it to us but we still wouldn't be able to verify it because of this communication barrier. Of course, there's a sense in which that problem's completely general. We're able to verify that the table is in front of me because, for all I know, I'm in a simulation and the table isn't really in front of me. And consciousness is a, is a, 
It's even more difficult than that. I can be pretty sure that the table is there, but I can be somewhat less sure that your consciousness, there's a deeper epistemic problem with consciousness than with the table. But just as with the table, in practice, we can have reasons for being really sure that the table is there. Once we've understood how the brain processes information in enough detail, we could have really, really solid grounds for believing that a certain theory of consciousness is true and for thinking that some things are conscious and that other things aren't. I don't think that epistemic barrier is insurmountable. That's an optimistic view of the world. None of us can predict the future. No. I don't think, personally, that I will live long enough to experience such a strong AI. This would be probably something at best for our grandchildren. Yep. Thank you so much. This has been a great interview. I learned a lot. <laughs> I think that was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs>